A major U.S. food sanitation company was fined last week for employing over 100 kids as young as 13 years old in dangerous jobs cleaning equipment at meatpacking factories. But this fine amounted to a minuscule fraction of the company's profits, and lawmakers in other states are actually moving to loosen restrictions on child labor, proving yet again that capitalism's thirst for exploitation, in fact, knows no limits. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program, this program, brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not a patron, to become a patron today if you enjoy listening or rely on this show or both. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdw. OLFF.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. This story, this development, this new phenomena, well, not new, this old phenomena coming back with a greater frequency now in the United States. Child labor is a major issue and a major phenomena all over the world, in fact, or most parts of the world. But we have a labor shortage, as we've been told by the Federal Reserve over and over again and by the mainstream media. And the story goes basically like this. Because some number of workers have mysteriously not re-entered the workforce after COVID, there is a labor shortage, and that leads workers to be in a better position rather than competing against a big sort of pool of the unemployed workers are able to actually ask for higher wages because they know employers need more workers. And this, in turn, causes what's called wage inflation. And then prices are higher, and the whole of society suffers, especially those who don't have as much money, because there's a tight labor market, higher wages lead to inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you and I and you and Walter have talked about this many times. But Professor Wolf, what's actually happened when you look at the data is that a a certain number of, and it's not a minuscule number, of older workers left the workforce during COVID. These were people who are in their late 50s, 60s, even 70s and older who were afraid that they were going to get sick and die. 
and who decided for one reason or another that it just wasn't worth it anymore to keep coming to work. There was another group, women in particular, because there was no access to childcare. So women left the workforce, but especially older workers, when you look at the data. So the solution to the, for the capitalists is, yeah, let's hire the kids. Anyway, let's just talk about this phenomenon. It's going on. A number of states have new legislation making it legal to employ children. Yeah, I think, let me commend you, Brian. You, you've set a context for the conversation that's really crucial. It begins this way. A number of businesses, significant number, lost money during the crash of 2020 on the one hand and the COVID crisis. Those are two separate things. They happened pretty much at the same time across 2020 and 2021. So people kind of mix them together, but they really are distinct events. And both of them negatively impact profits for many, not all, but for many industries. And that is why at the end of 2021, the industrialists sought a way to recoup the profits. The employer class wanted to recoup the profits that they had not been able to get. Just like working class people tried to recoup some of the losses they suffered during those years, losses from unemployment, losses from disease, the COVID epidemic, and so on. But the employers in a capitalist system are in the driver's seat. They have a way to do that, or several ways, that working class people don't have. And the most important one that they used was raising their prices, because that is the quickest and easiest way to juice your profits. You simply produce what you used to, you pay the cost of what you had to buy as inputs, and the only difference is you charge more for the output. And it's important for folks to recognize that the increase in prices happened not only before wages went up, but have consistently been higher than wages went up. So that the employer, from the employer's point of view, has enjoyed a falling cost of labor because whatever happened to wages was less than the amount of price increase he was able to get. And if you look at the statistics, it's crystal clear that price inflation outstripped wage inflation every single month of the last couple of years that we've had this problem. But the employers didn't stop with recouping profits by inflation. That was the number one way it got all the attention. But meanwhile, there were other ways. One of those is hiring children. Now, we have a long history in the United States of employers using children. And by children, I generically mean people under the age of 18, which is what the United States government uses as the basic cutoff for what constitutes a youth in terms of youth labor laws. They're very specific. If you're under 18, you are subject to all kinds of limits on what you can be employed to do. 
specific limits for people that are 16 and 17, particular limits for people that are 14 and 15, and basic ban on all labor below that. Although there is an exception which deserves a moment's mention. Parents are allowed to do almost anything with their children. It's a leftover of the notion that children are somehow property, that they are to be treated almost like animals in the sense that the parent is allowed to impose labor on his or her children in a way that other (laughs) potential employers are not. Giving parents the authority to employ their children without the limits that the law implies to every other employer strikes me as a strange leftover from ancient history. We know in our society that there is a serious problem of child abuse, physical, mental, sexual, you name it. Uh, It's a continuing problem in our society as it has been. Entrusting parents who have a possibility of behaving in an appropriate way as if they didn't is peculiar to say the least. But we have had laws and the laws were imposed because employers horribly abused children. They did it over and over again. If you do any work in American history, the 19th century was a century that you could call a century of child abuse because it was rampant, it was obvious, because of the invention of the photograph, we have photographic records that many of people have seen in history books of the way children were used as young as five, six years of age, in the textile business particularly, but in many others. So we had laws. We fought in the United States against allowing child labor. And let me be very clear, because the same arguments are coming up now. Here's one. We employers have to be able to do that. We have to hire children, because if we couldn't, it would lower our profits. If we had to pay adults, we'd have to pay them more. Adults can't work as deftly with little objects as children can if you train them and punish them adequately, etc. So the employers threatened the largest society, we will go out of business, we will therefore fire all the adults that we hire if you don't let us take advantage of these little children. It's like blackmailing the society as a whole to allow these people to do the damage they did to children. Here's the second argument. We are benefactors because you see, Many of the children we hire come from poor families. And if those poor families couldn't send their kids out to get a wage, granted a low one, they'd be even poorer than they are now. It's like the argument of corporations going to third world countries, paying horribly low wages, but boasting that it's more than the people there could otherwise get. In other words, we're taking advantage of poverty and then justifying that we do as little as we do to alter it, et cetera, et cetera. None of those arguments finally worked. And the United States, the working class of this country, finally passed laws saying we don't want those arguments. We don't pay them any mind. You are destroying the lives of young children with the physical strain, the mental abuse, the sexual abuse, all of it that was rampant in all employee situations, given what you can impose on children by the very fact that they're children. 
So to see it come back now is to see that this system is straining. It needs to cut wages. And a way to do that is not only the inflation, where prices outrun the wage, and so you're basically getting cheaper labor done. This is just another way. You bring the children in. You hope the inspectors of the government are too few. That's the job of the Republicans, to squeeze the government so it doesn't have the money to hire the inspectors to make sure the law is observed. Everybody knows that game. You allow the corporations with their profits to bribe the few inspectors that they still have, if they can, and they certainly do try. And when all else fails, they have their final game. And that was the case in this situation with the meat packing plant cleaning operations that those children were doing. And here is here it comes. You hit them with a fine. If indeed they're caught, if indeed the inspector writes the report that catches them and pins them with having violated the law and damaged these children, they pay a fine. So I did the arithmetic. You know, we economists do that. I measured the fine of the company that was involved against the annual sales of that same company for the most recent year, which I believe was 2021. And the fine, total fines paid one and a half million dollars, worked out to not just less than 1%, but less than one-tenth of 1%. One half of that, 0.05%, of one year's sales was what they had to pay for doing that to over 100 children. It's an extraordinary sign of a system carefully constructed. And here's the double irony. We have come off now four years, five years, six years, maybe more as I think about it, of systematically hounding out of the country the lowest wage workers, the immigrants, those who come without the documentation that's required, very poor families, mostly from Central America. We have been hounding them out of the country. Obama did it, Trump did it, Biden's doing it. And so we have a shortage of people at the low end because of course employers always took advantage of the immigrants, exactly the way they're doing with the children, to get labor done at less cost, what they're always doing, so they could pocket the difference as profits. Having hounded out the immigrants, we are now consuming our own children. It's biblical, this drive of capitalism and where it is taking us. Richard, I'm looking at the Washington Post from... Two weeks ago, February 11th, 2023, headline, in a tight labor market, some states look to another type of worker, children. Bills advancing in the Iowa and Minnesota state legislatures would roll back child workplace protections to address worker shortages. As local economies grapple with a tightening labor market, Some state legislatures are looking to relax child labor protections to help employers meet hiring needs. It's part of a persistent trend in labor economics, experts say. When employers struggle to find talent, 
many prefer to hire younger, cheaper workers rather than increase the pay and benefits to attract adults. And then the article goes on. I'm looking at another headline from just three months ago. Hyundai, that's the South Korean auto manufacturer, Hyundai, to drop two U.S. suppliers facing child labor violations as soon as possible. Two Alabama auto parts suppliers accused of employing underage workers may be soon losing their biggest client. That's the story, by the way, Richard, is that they are going to lose their client. Based on a statement from the company's top executive, Jose Munez, global president and chief operating officer of Hyundai, told the news organizations Wednesday that Hyundai intends to sever relations with suppliers SL Alabama and Smart Alabama LLC as soon as possible. Both companies operate factories in Alabama supplying the Korean giant with parts for use at its Montgomery manufacturing plant. So these kids are working actually in the factories. You know, it's a trend and it's so interesting, Richard, that it's not really getting that much play. One of the reasons we were so happy to talk to you about it is that if this is a trend in Minneapolis and Alabama, it's going on in other states and all of the corporate, industrial, and banking lobbies have organizations like ALEC, A-L-E-C, which are basically lobbying groups that essentially go in and write the laws in the different state legislatures. And they much prefer states' rights and state decision-making because you can go into a state legislature if you're a corporation, especially a very well-endowed corporation, and you can basically buy enough politicians that you can get almost anything you want. And then at the same time, because of racist gerrymandering, because of the way state legislatures are being skewed, I mean, they're really being skewed dramatically. Like if you go to North Carolina or Georgia or Alabama, where there's very big black African-American populations, it's not reflected at all in the state legislature because those same right-wing dominated legislatures write the rules about how elections look and how assembly districts are carved out. Again, this is, you know, the federalist system, the federal system being taken advantage of by the biggest transnational corporations in the world, actually, not just in the country. And again, they're the ones who want 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds to be back in the factory, back in the industrial work environment. And this was such a big issue. I was reading the minutes of the first international from 1868 the other day. I don't know why I was reading them, but Marx gave a speech about the role of machinery in the contemporary economy of that time. And it was basically Marx talking about how machine labor, meaning unskilled labor, you just have to run the machine, can be done by young children. And as a consequence, the mass exploitation and really destruction of young children in Europe was such a dominant feature of capital. Yeah, and I, I think you touch on a very important point that Americans are befuddled often about. All the talk about states' rights, all the idea, which is dominant, for example, in the United States Supreme Court today, that there is something about the local state government 
that is, and this, I'm using their language, closer to the people than that far-off government in Washington. These people could care less about far-off. They have a home in Washington, D.C. They worked hard to get that job. They understand very well what they're doing, and that's what you've explained. By moving the authority as much as possible from the federal government to the state government, you're making it much easier for each corporation to concentrate using its profits to get what it needs at the state level, bribing state officials, and there's a lot of that that goes on, is cheaper than doing that with federal officials. That's why we have a hierarchy set up this way. So all of this noise in my profession of economics, there's a fellow very famous named James Buchanan who made an entire career out of economic theorizing that tried to position the notion that it's somehow intrinsically better for us to be governed at the state level. It's silly. It's the argument every city official knows that the state is a problem. They'd like it to be run from the city. And the city is often a problem. We'd rather run it from the neighborhood. Yeah, these are struggles about who has what authority. They have nothing to do with efficiency or anything else. Corporations want the playing field tilted in their favor, and states' rights is all about that. That's why there are states now where they're taking the lead. Let's get one state to do it, lower the age that children can be employed, and then we'll use that to manipulate other states by suggesting that somehow, and here comes those old arguments, by letting the little kids work, we are keeping firms in our state because they can make more money hiring those inefficient kids, but at a low wage, all the same palaver that we heard a century ago and which did so much damage to so many children that we actually, as a society, said we will not allow it. We will not allow corporations in this pursuit of profit to do all of this stuff. And it was because of the endless flow of horror stories coming out of job sites and workplaces where the children were abusing each other, being abused by the adult workers, being abused by the supervisor. I mean, it never ended. And often with the complicity of parents who were relying on the income and so forced their children to go to any, the stories are such that you were destroying the so-called sanctity of the family. And all those arguments are now being revived because of the initiative taken by corporations who don't have very low-paid immigrant desperate people whom they, by the way, abused regularly because they were afraid the people accepted the abuse because they didn't have the papers to be here, so the government would come and deport them. They were in a dependent position, kind of like children. It is a horrible example of what Marx, in that same period of his life, kept noticing and writing about, which is that capitalism is a basically driven, divided society. What he called the class struggle between employers and employees is going on all the time. It's just a question of whether you're honest and daring enough to see it. 
whether it's hounding the immigrant or hiring the children or running the inflation of prices ahead of wages, and we could go on. That's why we have occupational health and safety rules in the United States, because they weren't taking the time and spending the money as employers to make the workplace safe. It never stops. That's the point. If you don't want each of these individual horrors, then the lesson to be learned is don't make the mistake of doing the particular, getting a law that lessens child labor. I mean, of course you do it, but you can never imagine that if you leave the capitalist system in place, that you have done something that is secure, that will last. It's only a matter of time and circumstance until the employers will be going to work to undo what you have done as long as you leave them in a position to do that. In that speech to the first international, the later there was a second international and a third international, but this was the first effort by workers in Europe in particular to not be used against each other as strike breakers to build solidarity. It was an eclectic group. Most of the people were not Marxist, but Marx was a major force in it. In that speech, Marx notes, it was not until 1833, that would have been 35 years before his speech, that the hour of labor for children were limited to 12 hours. So in 1833 in Europe, finally legislation saying, work. you can only hire these seven-year-olds for 12 hours a day. That was considered a very, very major reform. And it was a byproduct of, as you said, the class struggle. Unions were starting to fight for the first time. They were forming and fighting in England in the, in the Chartist movement. And, you know, when you look at where the, the labor law that we have been operating under, the federal labor law, It's from the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, Richard, that created the right to a minimum wage, time and a half overtime, and the employment of, quote, minors, and forbid the employment of minors in, quote, oppressive child labor, close quote, environments. It's not an accident that it was 1938. In our last minute and a half or so, this was a period of very intense class struggle. Yep, and that's the lesson, the most important lesson we can take from this. These laws that protected our children as a society came about at a moment when the capitalist employer class was in very bad trouble. It had just imposed 10 years of depression on the mass of people. Its standing was lower than the the polling for the worst president we've ever had. And it was a a moment when the working class had had enough and was very well organized in the CIO and at that time an incredible, powerful labor organization in two strong socialist parties, a communist party, all of them working pretty closely together. They were at the peak of their power and the organized working class frightened the employers And they weren't in a position to say no, especially on something as obvious as child labor. The lesson here, the working class mobilized, radical, powerful, loud, unquiet. That got the job done. 
That's why we have Social Security, which was gotten in those years, why we have unemployment compensation gotten in those years, the first minimum wage in our country gotten in those years, and a public jobs program that made unemployment obsolete gotten in those years. And then you can add protection for children. It's a sign. If you want a better society, organizing the working class and confronting the employer class is the only way History teaches us that can be accomplished. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about the one-year anniversary since the beginning of the war in Ukraine. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.